Hello, interwebs. Today, Ryan and I are going off for a three-way call with, guess who? Justin today. Uh, not a face reveal, <laughs> but you're going to hear his voice for the first time. Introduce Sorry. yourself. Hey, I'm Justin. Yeah. You know, the guy, That's we, it. That's all the guy we've talked about for 79 episodes finally shows up on episode 80. So. And he's the only man in North America who I know post-COVID has not invested in a webcam. Yeah, that's that's about right. So, today, the three of us are here to talk about our three short films that we made this year. That's a pretty big accomplishment, I figure. How many people can say they made one short film in a year, let alone three? Uh, there's a reason for that, which we'll get into momentarily. But we're going to do a bit of analysis of the films, tell you, basically review our own films, tell you some behind-the-scenes stories as well from their making, get into all the drama or whatever we feel like getting into. I'm prepared to get a little real. We'll see about you guys. But because filmmaking is not always easy. I'm I'm scared. <laughs> but yeah. Justin tried to shoot me. Are we going to talk about that? Well, or? we'll get to that when it's, we'll get to that. that that's let, that's yeah, the third film. Yeah, we'll get to we'll, that. We'll go in chronological order here. <laughs> <laughs> Good hook, people. So let's uh, should we go into our yeah let's let's go into our close up right in to talk about our first film that we made this year, second film that got a screening, a blue star apart. So this was Justin's brainchild, and we started filming this one last October, and finally just got its premiere. Uh, a couple weeks ago at Barry Film Fest as an official selection. Um, we'll walk you through the journey on that. Ryan was one of the lead actors in that. So, Justin, how did you first come up with the concept for Blue Star? What got your mind going in that direction for this story? By the way, full spoilers for the three films. Uh, <clears throat> uh, probably by the time this uh, episode comes out... Uh, Everything will be available on our Patreon, I believe. The Thought Play um, Media Patreon. But yeah. so, Blue Star. Uh, yes. So, Blue Star, uh, the concept came from basically the idea of astronauts. You know how they're up in space and they lose muscle mass, right? So, it, the idea came from the uh, having space travel where you come from an atmosphere it's like a reverse Superman. Like you're, you're on a low gravity planet you and gravity. you have to come back to a, yeah. So it's like reverse Superman yeah. almost. Yeah. So Aiden's on this far off planet with a lower density gravity field than on earth. So he can live his life perfectly normal there. But if he's going to space travel to somewhere with a higher density gravity, like earth, he needs to, be able to build his muscles back up for the travel or he's effectively going to get crushed by our gravity. He won't even be able to stand properly with the gravity on him here. So that's essentially the premise of Blue Star is Aiden, a depressed miner from this planet called Praxor 5. He gets a call from his aging father back on Earth who tells him, Aiden, my boy, I got a... I got a big job for you. I need to 
come back to Earth and help me out with something here. And it's a whole galaxy away, very inconvenient. But Aiden says, uh, all right, I don't really want to, but I'll I'll do it. I'll work for a couple of months and try to get back to Earth. So that's basically what the film is about, is his working out to get into proper shape to get back to Earth. But it's, it's not just a physical story. It's, um, it's about his mental conditioning as well. So what's, what inspired you to well, write yeah, this kind of story? Well, yeah, because some... Well, some of it was, you know, like real mental health stuff, real kind of issues. Um, but a lot of it, I mean, it started focused more on the dad which is surprising because i don't actually have any experience yeah rex mcginnis was was the main character and eventually i realized that i had a better uh better time writing as aiden rather than rex mcginnis and everything kind of pivoted around that that story of his of his son coming right yeah so well because rex mcginnis in the original draft was sort of this intergalactic Elon Musk kind of person just this uh this tech celebrity who managed to create a guide that would help intergalactic travelers to gain this appropriate muscle mass he, he but he's delivered in this personable way from this this character that everybody in the galaxy could kind of say hey you know you're cool I'll, I'll listen to the Rex McGinnis guy he's just a, a really personal celebrity but the thing about Rex McGinnis is that he gave up his guide for free, basically. He could have been rich. He could have been famous, galaxy-wide over. And he is a beloved celebrity uh, across all of Earth's colonies. But because he gave his guide up for free, his son Aiden is forced to work in this mining colony just to make money. And he's a little bit resentful of that idea. But Rex is... Uh, humanitarian and a big personality that's why he throws his name in the every two seconds uh of the of the guide right that one was that came about because justin said to me well he is, this is a big personality right you know he's he's kind of a a jerk without really realizing it and justin was having a little bit of trouble coming up with the monologue there so i said eh, let me try something so that's how we came up with the hi i'm rex mcginnis welcome to the rex mcginnis guide to health and safety for interplanetary travel for your journey between praxor 5 and earth yada 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 you can be as strong as me rex mcginnis <laughs> just like the running gag there that yeah you even you you approached me and you're like, yeah, I don't I don't know if it's too much. I'm like, no, it needs more Rex McKinnis. Let's just, let's just name drop him. As, there can never be too much. Name drop himself as many times as possible. Let's just go for that. So for the and that was uh, so for the location of Praxor Five, we needed to find this desolate desert area uh, somewhere far out of the way and we were looking into places like Arizona originally because yeah that was definitely practical we're just gonna take a weekend trip to Arizona and shoot this thing in the desert and 
then we figured out that there's this place called Sandbanks Provincial Park that's just a couple hours east of us, which is absolutely perfect just from the pictures we found on Google. And so Justin and I took a, a three-hour road trip out there for the day and, and filmed at Sandbanks. Any stories you want to share? And uh, out there, we 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 discovered that uh, Star Wars lied, um, where Ray can like slide down sand. Uh, that does not work. <laughs> we tried. It. No, we. So we brought this sled full of firewood because Aiden hauls firewood through the desert. That's kind of his thing. And we went out there with all this wood and didn't realize how hard it would be to haul a sled across sand it's basically impossible justin's just lucky he's very very strong and could manage that because i was having trouble hauling it quite a lot myself just we really underestimated the load there and we also had to carry all our camera equipment and this and this costume as well justin made that costume in the movie by the way which you'll see in the posters i thought it was a a really cool piece of costume design just on a tangent there we found that like the fabric it um at a fabric store and he said oh this this looks perfect and he, he kind of tailored that so I, I thought you did a really good job on that yeah i did i did some magic there <laughs> yeah we just found these costume pieces laying around um and you, you just kind of threw that together for aiden's desert wear so when we went out to the dunes with all this firewood we you had it in the script where Aiden sort of had this hobble, uh, like a tent where he'd enter his house, which is sort of underground in a way. And we needed to find a couple ways to make that work. So you, you brought these tent poles and a, and a drill and a, and a trench shovel. And we had to find these little areas in the sand to dig into to try to stick these posts and hang this tarp. And that was a bit of a pain, if I recall. Yeah, it was like super windy, and so far the day had gone pretty pretty good, and I was worried about that part, and it it was not working. We we had a bit of a fight of it there, and uh, so we decided because the it was mostly the wind that that was doing it. It was actually kind of working. So then we looked for a spot that had a bit more uh, cover from the wind, and. And set it up there and it seemed to stay pretty well. I mean, we got the shots. Yeah. The other thing I remember from that day was when we were hauling the, the, the sled and the wood was so heavy and we met so much resistance that the the strap we would pull the sled on, like this cord of rope, it broke. And all of a sudden we had nothing to haul the sled with. So we had to run all the way back to your car and find one of your dog's collars or leashes or something. And we basically jerry-rigged this rope with the broken ends just to be able to haul the thing back with all the wood on it. We had to get a little bit admittive on that shoot. Oh, yeah, that's, like, that's why we decided it was so heavy that we got it, I don't know, maybe 10 feet on the sand and then decided to film the the last shot where he's carrying like the most wood we're like we'll shoot that first so we can take some wood off of this and then so it basically got shot in reverse almost yeah you're right and that's 
so going back to a little bit before when you said Star Wars lied. So at the end of the shoot, we had a little more time to kill. Just wanted to go around Sandbanks Provincial Park. So we took the sled off to the top of the highest hill we could find and tried to slide down like Ray did in Force Awakens. And he got absolutely nowhere. <laughs> Not for lack of trying, but it, it's all on film for the behind the scenes, which will come out eventually. I've still got to edit that Well, she's, she's sliding down from like the end of a Star Destroyer. So I don't think the height matches up perfectly with real life sandbags. And also that's tattoo or Jakku sand, not earth sand. So you don't know how gravity works there. It could be slippery for all we know. Yeah. You're muted, Joe. think we lost him can't hear me okay sorry there you go okay yeah i was just saying that another way the sequels are inaccurate pieces anyway (laughs) so what else what else about that day yeah i think things were pretty smooth on the whole for that first day there we we only ran into a couple minor troubles, like the the tent and the um and the and the rope breaking. We got lucky that we went in an early enough time where there was basically nobody around. Because I feel like, well, not feel like I definitely would have been ruined for these beautiful landscape shots if more people had been in the background just being tourists. And here we're trying to present it as this desolate environment. So I'm glad we came at a time where we didn't have to deal with too many tourists. Yeah, it was it was actually a little cold even though the sun is like super bright and the wind is blowing. It was it was a little chilly. I was wearing like a long sleeve shirt under there. I was worried I was going to be too hot in the costume and not too cold. <laughs> well, when did you guys shoot this? Like May or June, something like that? October. No, it was October, yeah. It was our first week of October last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not really, let's go to the beach weather. No, but it was was a nice day. It was nice and sunny. And in Canada here, fall is coming later and later every year. So first week of October, weather was pretty nice. Like later in the day, we were wearing t-shirts and stuff. But right right in the desert heat there. We, we needed to cover up a little bit. It was a good day for filming. We wouldn't want to be going around in the sun too much on a warm July day, you know? I think we picked the perfect time to go, really. Yeah, the weather, like, cooperated. We, you know, we had one, one basically chance to do this because, I mean, we weren't going to drive three hours out and and then just give up and do it another day, right? Because just because of the sun not being out but the sun ended up being out and the wind was blowing just perfect to make like all, all the effects of the cloak blowing around look good and it just worked out perfect I, I couldn't have planned it better yeah so sometimes film shoots do go exactly as you want them to and our next day I believe was some of the shoots in your apartment which were the shots of Aiden working out and trying to, you know, do push-ups and whatnot, listen to that voice message of uh, of Rex. Now, the thing about this shoot, 
that's a little bit weird for us, right? Is we completely changed our process for Blue Star. Usually how it works is Justin comes up with a concept, we hammer out the story together, I write it, usually we co-direct, he's the director of photography. We completely flipped on this one. He did all the concept, all the story. I did, like I said, a little bit of writing, just some touch-up lines here and there, more for that monologue, and I was the director for photography, which, frankly, not my area of expertise, and we were working with our new gimbal, which didn't help either. I <laughs> was still figuring out the thing for a lot of the shoot. That fucking making, gimbal. Yeah, making rookie mistakes on Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't even describe what 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 you needed to do. Like I'm like I had a vision for for the shots, but I couldn't describe what you actually needed to do with the gimbal because I didn't have that much experience on it either. I think the thing I got sick of tired was, of hearing for the last three films we worked on was hold on, I need to balance it. <laughs> just like constantly just like <laughs> Didn't you balance it already? It's like, I did, but I have to balance it again because we moved an inch. Yeah. So that was a little bit of a mess just because we were trying out effectively new rules, which, you know what? I appreciate getting practice on different things, but it frankly didn't help the final product of the film, which, to be fair, I think turned out pretty well. But I, a director of photography, I am not. There's multiple areas in the film where, oh, I didn't leave it. Like in the apartment shots really pissed me off because I didn't leave him enough headroom. So some of the times his head's is like right at the top of the shot. Some of the tracking shots are okay. I got better as we went. Like um, some of the shots I'm proud of, like the, the desert landscapes look really nice. Uh, my framing is well okay. like there's the the final shot in the desert um where where Aiden actually goes into the uh into the hut and I don't know how many times we had to do that, that was over a because dozen, I think we just it was it, it had to be more than that like it was an insane amount we just couldn't quite get it for some reason well because the problem was I had to the, the way the shot went, right, was he's pulling up the sled and kind of walking in an arc all the way up to his tent, and then he slips under the tent. But as the camera guy, the way I had to do it was I had to back up, and there was these... I had to back up for the first while, and then he makes that arc so that he's walking from the side. So then I have to start tracking him walking sideways on sand on, on level terrain, so I'm having trouble keeping my footing on the sand and this uneven ground, having to walk sideways with equipment I'm not very familiar with, trying to keep him steady, trying to keep him in frame the whole time, not shake too much, get the shot he wants. It's really, that one was a real challenge to get right. And like you said, we did it over a dozen times, but we, we got a shot we're mostly proud of. Oh, yeah, and then that's when people started coming out. Like I was saying earlier, we were happy most of the day to have very few people, but it was just at this time people started coming into the background, so we had to get our timings right, too, which didn't help things. And me wearing a costume and you with a camera leads to basically anybody who walks by, they're like, oh, what are you guys doing? What are you shooting? What's this for? So you get a lot of questions and you're like, ah, 
I don't really want to answer questions right now. I'm tr- we're trying to do the thing now. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. the worst part about working out in the or shooting out in the public is that once they people see a camera or see costumes, they're immediately inter- interested in what's going on. They're like, hmm, I'm going to go bother them now because I'm interested. That's happened to me on a couple student films. I did one where we dressed up as like kind of 1920s uh, attire very stylized and everybody's like oh what's what's going on here it's like please we're trying to shoot can you just not talk or please just stay out of frame yeah i remember there were these uh these one group of people just sitting in lawn chairs just just sitting in lawn chairs in the middle of this desert area and uh we talked to them for a bit but they were the only ones who we really had a conversation with and it was just hey what are you doing oh yeah we're doing this but we were in between setups they weren't that intrusive so that was that was okay. Uh, talking about all this Sandbanks stuff reminds me that Anakin Skywalker was a completely right. Like I said, the sequels are full of it, but the prequels had it right. Sand is coarse, rough, irritating, and it did get everywhere. We are literally still finding it in our equipment a year later, randomly, ever since that day. I mean, I now work with sand on a regular basis. It all depends on the sand. This stuff is... It gets everywhere. Like, I think even just on our last film, it, it was like in the area. Yeah, that's the worst part. At my work, we watered down the sand almost every day, not to keep it like soft or compacted. I mean, that is a benefit, but that's just to stop the dust from going everywhere because it's a place where you eat as well and you don't want sand dust on your dinner plates and all that stuff. Well, definitely not. Not in medieval times. That's. I don't want sand in my mutton or whatever you guys serve now. I haven't been in 20 years. Chicken. Lots and lots of chicken. Nice. We got to go visit you there. See you, Squire. So, oh, boy. Well, yeah. So the shots in uh, in Justin's apartment, those were, those were okay. Uh, we did have some problems with the lighting there, though. Because that's another area of film we're still trying to figure out. Because... We basically have no crew. Most of Blue Star was just Justin and I, really. And then you on the day we had you as an actor. But it was just it was Justin trying to direct me while also acting. And he just gave me his shot list book with with his storyboards in it, which I kind of had to figure out while he was preparing his lines, getting ready. We didn't have any lighting crew. We didn't have any audio crew. We were just sort of making this stuff up on the fly for Blue Star. And I'm surprised it turned out as well as it did, considering how few crew we had on it. Or maybe that's, or maybe that's because of how few crew. Because Justin and I are pretty. We know what we want. We have a clear vision for things, and sometimes it's easier to communicate that with fewer people. The more you have to explain to to some folks on set, the the more time gets wasted. The more People don't do things exactly as you want. So sometimes small crews are beneficial. Well, yeah, it comes it comes to the planning, right? Because when, when you're sitting there thinking about how to do something, you, you think about in terms of, oh, we've only got two people, so how are we going to do this with two people? Where when you have five people, you could... You know, you're thinking in terms of five people. You don't really think in terms of two, right? You, you end up kind of stretching yourself, so... 
with a smaller crew it just seems to work better yeah for sure so let's let's get you something to talk about we'll talk about your shooting day now where we brought you to our uh, little hometown and went to uh justin's dad's place there and filmed you as rex mcginnis Mm -hmm. yeah so for this one we had to we we did have a bit of a debate going into this whether okay should we hire somebody who's well, let's face it, more age-appropriate. Maybe Justin's father is Rex McGinnis, or should we hire you, who is actually an actor, and uh, we can make up to look a little older. And also, in the fu- it's the future, and this Rex McGinnis guy makes a guide to health and safety, so he probably looks pretty good for his age, just add a little silver. And, well, obviously, that's what we went with, because we figured you're... Your talent as an actor. Used an entire bottle of silver. That's what that was. Yeah, for sure. Uh, which you had to apply a lot. That was that was a lot of Ryan's early part of that day was just applying silver in his hair while Justin and I figured out what the hell we were going to do that day. Well, it's funny with the small crew because I was like, does it look good? And Joe's like, yeah, it looks good enough. And I looked in a mirror and I could barely see it. I'm like, Joe's not a makeup guy. Okay. I'm going to apply the whole bottle on my head. Yeah, see, on these little productions, actors have to do their own makeup. I think you <laughs> did a good job. It looked good on camera, especially in the light scenes, which, yeah, that took a little bit to get right as well, those outdoor shots of him walking up to the door. I was impressed, and I, I didn't realize shotgun mics went that far because when we were doing the audio editing, I was shocked to hear that I'm shooting from across the street and you can even hear him walk all the way up the stairs with his boots clunking on the concrete and then knocking on the door all the way across the street. That that really impressed me with the capability of that equipment. Yeah, like the shots are kind of deceiving because uh, of the way lenses work with the with the camera, but cuz it looks like you're right there, but you were way across the street. You were pretty far out. Yeah, I was on the opposite sidewalk to the house there. And uh had to get that shot right. Oh, yeah, and because our microphone on the... We had to rig up the microphone in a way where it would fit on the gimbal because it couldn't fit on the camera on the gimbal because that would throw off the balance. So we had to get this this extra hot shoe just for the side. And the only extension we had was this super long cable. So I had to wrap it basically around my entire body just for this little... Like, we only really needed a couple-inch cable, really, probably. Maybe maybe a foot at most. But this is like a 12-foot cable I have to carry around with the gimbal. Which was ridiculous looking. But it got the job done. So, what was your experience like as an actor on this? Be honest, it was a bit of a mess. But it not all bad, I hope. Uh, not so much a mess. It was more so just like, okay, we did this. What's next? And that's the funny part about small crews is that when you're focusing on one thing, you also have to focus on five other things, but you have to be right in the moment of either being a director or director of photography, continuity person. I mean, that's why you have these big productions have so many people on set 
you, there's literally a guy hired just for do the day planning. I'm pretty sure that's the AD and just what shot is next or whatever. And then there's the, uh, the, the rest of the crew, right? The grips, the lighting people, the director, director, of photography, script supervisor, actors, all that fun jazz. But no, it wasn't a mess. It was more so just like, um, what again, I, I think it was because it was a brand direction. new, yeah, it was like a brand new gimbal of, um, just like, okay, having to rebalance in almost every other shot because something either got bumped or a battery died or something like that. And then just trying to deal with, we also tried, it was the first time I think we both tried to using lav mics for the first time and not being, uh, that was a hassle, man. That was the worst. Yeah. And for me, not being very particularly, uh, well-versed in audio, recording i thought hey just taping it to my chest it'd be fine letting the cord dangle a little bit i did some research going into um like going into this shoot on like how to tape the lav mic and all that but even then you you gotta have someone else look after it or even when you have the lav mics we have them connected to our phones right because that's the cheapest option but the way that they usually do is it connected to this little box that sends out a signal so that the sound people can actually hear it live there and they can tell if it's being blown out or something's hitting it or whatsoever. Some of the best people on set that I've had to deal with are sound people, but also you can make them cringe real easy with, uh, with just a, like, oh, we'll fix it in post. So that's a lot of fun to do as well. That's something you never say to anyone who knows what they're doing. Oh, we'll fix it in post. Most of the time, you cannot. That lav mic stuff you sent us, basically unusable by the end of it, unfortunately. it. Yeah, something it to do been, with the necklace hitting the mic or the, the way the shirt was flopping around, something like that. Well, based on my research after the fact, what I learned was lav mics do not do well hitting fabric. We taped it to your chest, and your shirt was bang, 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 bang on on the mic. What we should have done instead was tape it to the inside of your shirt, because that mic hitting your skin still would have made some noise, but it would have been way less abrasive. And the next, I also think it was just the shirt in in general. That type of shirt I wore, it's more tight on the chest than it is around the. uh, the lower frame of the shirt, I guess you would call it. It's just designed that way, and it's not really a good shirt to be using for uh, for lav use. So I think that was also the problem as well. So I don't know if that would have entirely fixed it, but definitely would have improved. Yep, and uh, let Ryan know, let everybody know that Ryan's an actor who does his own stunts. He really did lift that chair down the stairs. Yeah, it was so tough. I threw out my back. And he made Just it seem kidding. like it was in character too. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm Rex McGinnis. I threw out my back. Well, the funny part about, again, it's like the, we plan as we go ahead was like, okay, we got to lift the chair down the stairs. What chair should we use? And then they did like a quick search around the, the house for like five minutes. I was like, this is very interesting. But it's not really like something to complain about. I think there's some actors who would complain on small sets like, oh, they're not very organized or whatever. But like it's two people, you know, you just got to be humble about it. Like you're I've worked on 
student films that have like a major film quality in terms of a team. And I've worked with small crews like you guys and they all have their ups and downs with everything. You know, you just got to be humble and not be a prima donna and just be like, oh, I, I, I trained for this. Why are more people more trained? It's like, well, we're doing this for fun. Like, chill out. Like, and I we had the whole day, so it wasn't really anything to complain about. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, we also had a bit of fun voice acting, didn't we? You oh, came over here sakes. and we did the uh, voiceover for the Rex McGinnis Guide for Interplanetary Travel. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. Was- There's some lines when I read and say out loud, I just can't get them to sound right. I sound like uh, Benedict Cumberbatch tr- trying to say penguin. penguin. It just, yeah, it just doesn't come out right. And for some reason, that one just kept slipping me, like slipping up. It was the weirdest thing. And there was also another thing where I was trying to do like the radio voice and trying to do like the booming, like loud in your face. And then Joe kept stopping me and was like, you're blowing out the mic. And at one point I was like, you're blowing out the mic. (laughs) Just let me get through one take, please. (laughs) But no, he was right. Like if you're blowing out the mic, it's an unusable take whatsoever. One of my favorite. Well, see, we were using uh, my old mic, my my old Mayono mic that I used on this podcast before I got the uh, the sure one here. Uh, that one was really easy to blow out was the problem. So Ryan basically, well, he was right here where I'm recording this and he had to basically stand on the opposite wall to do his shouting take sometimes. One of my favorite takes of his that didn't make it in was when he tried to be, I don't really know how to describe what he was trying to be, but when it was... um. It's like he was trying to be somebody different than Rex McGinnis, who was delivering the guy. Um, it, so basically, the end of the line was like, have fun, stay safe, and have a wonderful trip. And he was delivering, this has been the Rex McGinnis Guide to Health and Safety. Have fun, stay safe, and have a wonderful trip. <laughs> it was it made me laugh so hard. <laughs> yeah. You got a fun on set. You know, that's, I think, as an actor... Just personally, I think you should try to make everyone's day less stressful Um, because at the end of the day, it's all on you. It literally is like you got to show up on time. You got to treat others with respect. It's like you're being yes, you're being shot. It's all about you and you kind of get treated like a subgenre of royalty at some parts. But it is it an actor can change the tone of a set real, real fast. So that's why with every production I've ever been on, I try to throw in a bit of improvisation just to like throw in a little joke here or there or give like a little look just to see if everybody's good for it. Um, I haven't been on a set where someone's someone said something like, oh, don't do that. Just stick with the script yet. They're most and that's. Not to say that everything I've done is perfect because it's not, but just I think sometimes a little bit of improvisation can really extend a scene or really just show the prowess of an actor's ability. Even when it comes to like when when I'm editing at the end, you know, 
I still see all those those little things that you do that's you know it kind of spices up the editing too I mean editing can be a little monotonous but the little things you do I I see them later again too and I laugh and I think about the the fun we had on the set too yeah it's all about that like the main point of acting is reacting that's what you have to do you have to react to what other people say or what's going on in the scene that's the main thing and trying to decipher what the best objectively what's the best emotion to portray if you're trying to do it subtly if you're trying to do it big um that's what i learned in school and i agree with it it's the terminology that i use kind of on a daily basis to be honest but uh yeah it's just it's it's never wrong to try to brighten everyone's day with like a little bit of improvisation because sometimes there's just a moment that you think about that you wouldn't think of in the writer's room or like even on early on the day and then something will come to mind. Um, and then, you know, if the director doesn't like it, then they don't use it. That's literally the worst case scenario. Very true. Very true. So now let's talk a little bit about just um, a bit of filmic analysis of the film, just to be like, oh, what's it really about? You know, some of the deeper meanings behind it. Um, it's about Bruce showing Dern. off how ripped Justin is. That's what it's about. Cut to some slow-mo shots of him shadow boxing himself in the mirror. <laughs> Those were good. He's got no comment. But uh, yes, no comment from Justin. He's a humble guy, humble six foot three man. Yeah, yeah, that's. I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Just be proud, son. Yeah, see, Dad, I did it. <laughs> so, yeah, some of the here's an obvious one for color theorist. Um, the blue star is a representation of sadness. He's. He's sad. Oh. He's miserable there, and he, he yeah, yeah. And, and Earth is sunny and bright. It's a it's a yellow sun. The tone completely changes on Earth. Um, yeah, that's that's some color theory for you. But yeah, what the story I think is really about is sort of a metaphorical divide between fathers and sons how while I don't really know about your guys fathers but I know with with me and my father there's sometimes this idea of uh like familial expectation like oh well yeah I'm I'm the son so I gotta be expected to help my father out because well why shouldn't I he's my father he's done so much for me and and a lot of times frankly it can be it can be inconvenient to go help dad out it's not that I don't want to, but it's just, well, it's my duty as a son to go help out. Why should I feel bad about that? Right. And that is kind of the thing is Rex doesn't realize necessarily how hard it is for Aiden to come help out. He's, you know, he's never really left earth for a very long time. So to him, it's just, Hey, hop on, like, let's just use the guide, hop on a shuttle, get back to earth and uh, help me move a couch. What's so hard about that? But for Aiden, who's living this depressing well, life as a minor, 
who spends his days hauling stuff across the desert in all coming back to this basement apartment all alone getting his son baked every day in a really hot sun environment and how much of a slog must it be for him to have to work two months work and work himself to the bone in addition to his job just to get back home and all that for his dad just to have him to want to move a couch which for Aiden feels like why did I even bother for Rex fantastic help he really appreciates it but for Aiden it's oh come on (laughs) that's it yep that's it and but you could also argue it's uh it's a bit of a parenting thing too right because Aiden is stuck in a rut his mental health is on the decline he's just doing the same thing day after day it's very monotonous very boring and this trip to earth inconvenient as it may be you could also argue that Rex maybe he did know what he was doing maybe he was just trying to break Aiden out of his rut I personally believe Rex is a little too egotistical to realize exactly what he was doing, but it did help Aiden in a way, ultimately. So there's a bit of nuance there. Just it's the it's a blue star apart. Well, it's the it's the divide between fathers and sons. How far do they have to come to meet each other halfway, or just to, like they're literally worlds apart? sometimes and it's about making the effort yeah that's exactly it like uh you you know the the film shows aiden's perspective so that most of the audience ends up seeing yeah how hard it was for for aiden to come you know to help his father uh but you know rex mcginnis was was the original character and he he too like he has reasons behind what he's doing and and even though we don't see a lot of that in the film it's there in in some of Ryan's acting even because you know we kind of broke stuff down a little bit for him um but like you know Rex has his his ideas of what what he wants you know uh maybe he just wanted to see Aiden maybe it was an excuse maybe he feels like he can't just ask him you know come visit me you know he uses that like you were talking about earlier Joe where you're talking about the uh responsibility as a son to to come help your dad right so he's kind of using that instead of instead of being like, hey, I miss you. You know, he doesn't exactly want to show his feelings and and say that outright. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a bit about the the uh, festival submission process and screening, because this film was pretty new for us in that way. We never tried to submit anything to film festivals before really had no idea how it worked and just kind of throwing ourselves into the deep end here. One of our first mistakes I think was not submitting to enough festivals. We really only threw it into a couple just because the upfront cost of submission scared us off of doing more. We learned later that it's better to toss a wide net and take what results you can. We were just lucky enough to get one festival that wanted us which was nice the the berry film festival this year and yeah maybe that's a lot due to the fact that they had a um a simcoe county division which is where we're from 
so the the competition pool for that maybe was a little bit less than other festivals. I don't want to diminish the fact that we're an official selection though because we did we did get in there fair and square. It was somebody had to see our film and like it enough and there were I believe a couple hundred submissions at least to go against to get into the I think it was 13 ultimately made it into that festival. So not not to diminish us, but it was it was still an accomplishment that we're very proud of to get into that festival. And it was it was a great night uh, going there. And we'll, we'll get into this later, but the third film we're going to talk about today, Battle for Blood, we actually had to dip out of our filming for that and go to this premiere at uh, Galaxy Cinemas Barry for six hours. And... Well, that was all by by the time the night was done. And that was just, it was a really novel experience for us having to get pictures taken with a professional photographer. And we answered some interview questions about the film and that was really fun. And then we got to sit down and watch our film in a Cineplex theater, the theater that Justin and I have probably seen more films in than any other theater our entire lives. That was our childhood theater that we're seeing something we made up on the big screen, which I don't even have the words to describe how surreal that is. It was very, it was, it was an emotional experience really. And I don't know if it'll ever be as novel again. Um, it was very, it was a very special night. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, and uh, afterwards was really fun as well because we got to go to this this fun after party, uh, in the in the block over from the theater, where we got to feel like big shots. Talk. So to this is why you handed it in right before the deadline, huh? You were too busy out partying your party animals. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, okay, we got to we got to talk to some of the festival programmers. We got uh, we actually got an award for the film, which was delightful we can officially say we're award-winning filmmakers now so that's really that's just exceptional for us we're really proud of that um it's also it's also kind of funny because we're some of the only filmmakers who showed up to that awards dinner so more more people were talking to us because nobody else was really there to discuss the films with and that, that made us feel like Which big was, shots. It was surprising because, like, it was surprising because uh, even, like you said, there was a Simcoe County division. Like, it's, you know, there was a whole bunch of, there was at least three films there that were from, you know, 30 minutes away, right? And And it was surprising that they didn't show up. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what that was all about. But yeah, we they were busy editing for another 48 hours. <laughs> Potentially. Nah, yeah, I they were who knows who was smarter in there. than us. <laughs> yeah. See, the, th- the lesson about that night was I can easily see how situations like that would turn people into egotists because when all attention's on you and professional photographers are on you, everyone's shaking your hand saying, oh, how great your film is, getting pictures with you with awards. And stuff, it does start to go to your head. I know I could feel it a little bit. Like, oh wow, I'm I'm the center of attention and this feels good. I must have done a good thing. But you also have to kind of 
double check yourself in that same moment and realize, well, you know, I, I did have I, like I'm my own worst critic. I have a lot of problems with the film because I've made it. I've seen a mil- I've seen it a million times and it's just really nice to hear other people appreciate it. But it's I had that's kind of how I do things. My own self-criticism is the balance to all positive reinforcement I get. It's great to hear, but sometimes I have to be the one to tell myself, you you know you're not that great, right? Think of all the flaws. Just to it's the only way to keep a balance. Just because we've been lucky enough to get a lot of positive reinforcement from our family, our friends, from people who've seen the films this year. I haven't really heard any bad words. Maybe that's just because people are being nice. But that is something we've had to start to contend with this year. Just that feeling in the back of your mind of inflating ego that you just got to keep in check. Yeah, because, I mean... You, you get a genuine response when, when people are watching the film. Like, when you're not talking to them, it's it's one thing. You know, if they're talking to you, yeah, maybe they're, you know, they know you made the film, they're trying to be nice to you. But when you're s- sitting in a crowd of 250 people watching watching a movie and the whole crowd is laughing at, at the joke that you made, you know, they're, it's, I don't know, it's pretty encouraging. I mean, that's a genuine reaction. You, you don't, you know, the whole crowd of people doesn't fake laugh at something, right? Yeah, yeah, that's sure. one of the fun things about uh, having those experiences. Uh, either in a theater or on stage, I can think of only a handful of times where I've had to do like a comedy scene on stage, and I did it with my buddy Taylor back in high school for uh, our high school's production of Our Town. And we have a very comedic scene where I'm playing the father of uh, his girlfriend, and he's asking her, asking the father. Uh, I think if he uh, for her hand in marriage or something like that and it's just it, the scene just straight up just starts with because these two have never had a conversation one on one before it's just kind of like a cliche thing and to do that with like my best buddy in high school and just play off each other and you can just hear the crowd getting into it just drives the energy too and just encourages you to go more uh, more energy into it as well but it's also tough when you're doing it live because you can't break on stage or else all reality breaks. There's a few times where I almost slipped, but uh, when you're in a movie theater and you're, I think it's hard for us three as well because we are our biggest critics. And after all these three films, we've all said like, oh, what we could do better. But even when we, uh, a couple of days ago, were in the theater for Back for Blood, the amount of laughs we got was a bit surprising to me. Uh, well, not surprising, but just how many people laughed at all the jokes and all the funny skits we did were was really cool to see because you never really know what an audience's reaction is going to be until you produce it. I mean, I remember making a... I tried to make like a serious love ballad music video back in high school, and it's sort of how... It's kind of the room effect where I edited it to be serious but it was so cheesy that it was funny and that's how people reacted to it. And at the time I was a little butthurt, but looking back on it, I was like, no, it's just how people reacted to it. That reminds me of the ending to um, the disaster artist. When you get to see how Tommy Wiseau reacted to everyone laughing at the room when he's like, Oh, I was, I was trying to make a serious movie. What the hell are you? And then he kind of realizes, Oh, well, 
you know, everyone's having a genuine reaction to this. I should be in on it, whatever that is. But uh, going back to Blue Star for a sec, just one more note about the the screening. I absolutely love what the programmers decided to do with that night because I don't I don't know how they ranked it necessarily, but I know for a fact why they put Blue Star last is because of our ending. Is because they wanted to end the entire film festival on an anticlimax. Just the idea that the ending of the film, Aiden gets back to Earth, moves a couch, just to move a couch, and then he looks at his dad in disbelief. That's it? And Rex slaps him on the shoulder. Yep, that's it. Walks out of the room. Aiden looks at the camera and ah! screams, cut to black. It's just, it's the perfect joke to end a film festival on. That's it? That's it. Just an anti-climax. What a ballsy move from the programmer. I admire them for it. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty funny way to end it. We talked about this one a lot longer than I thought we would, so let's move on to Crying Over Milk, our second film of the year. So this one oh boy. was a... Well, it was a challenge in more ways than one, but specifically it was a 48-hour challenge for the Toronto Smartphone Film Festival. And the idea behind this is you had to go to the place at, I think it was 7 o'clock on the Friday night, and they would give you a, mm -hmm. a theme to work with. And from that moment, in 48 hours, you have to come up with a, a concept, write it, uh, prepare it, shoot it, edit it and send it off all within a period of 48 hours. And for this specific challenge, you had to do the entire thing on a smartphone. Film it, that is. We couldn't use any of our good camera equipment. It had to be a cell phone or nothing. So that required a little bit of prep work. So for this one, Justin and I showed up overprepared. We hauled a whole suitcase worth of props to Toronto because... Well, we, we figured we were going to stay at Ryan's apartment for the weekend to work on this thing. And we knew we couldn't go back home for stuff. So, you know what? Let's just bring as many of our props and costumes from our home, from our bins at home as we possibly can. Because who knows what we're going to need for this thing. We could do literally anything. So that was a little bit embarrassing. But I also think it, it was kind of a power move because we get into that room with all these props and all our competition looked at us and we're like, oh, wow, they're so prepared. We got we got nothing. I have no idea what we're going to do. So I think we scared some people right up front and good. Be the power move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when the competition started, we were a little disappointed to find that the theme of the year was, quote unquote, relations. What yeah, were we just to kind do of with that? No challenge at all. Well, it was it was no challenge because but it was also a real challenge at the same time because it was so broad it could be anything. We're like, well, are we going too too niche with it now? Are we going too abstract with the concept? Like I had this really weird concept I remember for one where it was like Waves crash on the beach, pan up from the beach, like that. Like that's a relation. Pan up to 
the beach connecting New Horizon Line and then up to the sky or, or, or something. It was just like relations between the environment. It could literally be anything. So what the hell are you going to do about that? Took us two hours to figure it out. Sitting in this room at, um, I think it was George George Brown College, was it? Or I believe something? so, yes, George Brown. Yeah, so we were sitting there for two hours at seven to nine at night on a Friday night, and it was it was very hard. See, this is this whole process I found pretty hard because traditionally, when it comes to collaboration, Justin and I are the only ones who really work together or usually it's more of a one-on-one thing like you and I work together for the podcast here Justin and I do film stuff together uh you've all collaborated with different people too but it's usually a one-on-one thing traditionally so I know I had a really tough time adjusting to two voices collaborating with and against me at the same time to bat things back and forth because like I, I'm very used to the one-on-one but the two-on-one was very jarring and because we all sort of had competing visions I felt a lot of clashing in that room and it's probably why it took us two hours to just hammer down a concept and I'll admit I was a bit of a prima donna about it because when we finally did settle on one I wasn't really happy with the choice because I wanted to do something a bit more experimental and well you know we have a 48 hour challenge why are we doing something conventional why don't we do something a little crazier when we can take the risk and who who cares it's just this is a weekend to have fun and do something weird and then we settled on a effectively a, a basic drama and that really got under my skin because I kind of felt outvoted and and kind of forced into it and I just sort of conceded to it, but I I didn't really want to do it. I was willing to make it the best I could, but I just, I kind of felt, well, like I said, forced into it, but I kind of got over it by the second day. Once we started writing the script and saw we had a good thing going, but I was, I was kind of butthurt and moody about it that first night which I do apologize for. I think I have before, but I'll apologize again. But it's... I mean, rightfully so. It's, just, I mean, it's the when creative you, process. Yeah, it's, it's the creative it's process. When when you're uh, in conflict in terms of ideas or trying to discuss what, um, what you want to do uh, in terms of creating something and you kind of don't get your way, I can understand where you're coming from with that because that's happened to me on not major sets, but just stuff when I was making things uh, younger. So when you feel like you don't get your way, you do get a little butthurt about it. And it's hard to hide that emotion, but also you don't, you shouldn't have to hide that emotion, but I will give you props in saying you were very after that. And we, when we all agreed to do what we did, you were very professional in actually getting the work done. And also you have to add on the stress of it's a 48 hour, uh, 48 hour project. So it's crunch time. So everybody's stressed. Everybody's almost at each other's throats, but also trying to be as respectful as possible because we need to get something done. And I think I was just also kind of being a bit of a prima donna as well as thinking, well, what stands out in short films? Dramatic shit for some reason. And 
learning after doing this second film and then the third film, knowing where our strengths lie, um, it all it just all comes with experience and what we can do and what we should do. Um, but what we got done, we did pretty good, I would say. Yeah, when it comes to you and dramatic stuff, I remember you and I had a very, very long debate over the use of a monologue. Because you, as an actor, want your big moment, right? That's where you're coming from. I want to really show my chops and get to have an emotional meltdown on camera. And this can be a really powerful scene, you know? And me, as the writer who values a little more subtlety, said, well, I I think the story kind of communicates already what he's feeling. That he's already in this really stressed position. And he doesn't need an on-camera breakdown for you to understand things are happening and you said well you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna write the monologue anyway and we'll we'll see if it fits in okay i said okay i'm gonna work on my thing feel free to work on that and we did end up using it and i think it turned out very well i'm still not entirely convinced it needed to be there but also it's hard to imagine the movie without it now because i've seen it so many times and I think you delivered it very well and it it worked so well in context but those are the kind of debates we have where does this work I want it for my reasons I don't want it for my reasons and it's just well I don't I can't really say either of us is right because the movie probably would have worked well either way but I don't I can't deny that adding that monologue in there was an emotional a good emotional release well, my main uh, argument for that was because, and it's so tough too, because when a writer and an actor, they're both going at the character in their own way, or the writer sees it as they do on paper, um, you know, they're creating the character up from scratch. And when the actor comes to join in and take over that role, they're trying their best to um, perform it in the way that the writer envisioned. But also they love to add in their own little things here and there. But my main argument for the monologue was because throughout the entire film, uh, Crying Over Milk, he is being bombarded with um, emotional stress, and slaps nagging on the questions, a lot of slaps on the shoulder. And he's giving one word sentences, one, you know, not really talking that much. And it's just, it's driving him and it's just weighing so much on him. I think we didn't add it in because I don't think we got uh, a good enough take or good enough time where um, Emily, who's in the film, one of my friends from college, shout out Emily, was going to kind of nag him as he's walking out the door. Um, so that would have given context of why he's leaving, but there was context, uh, context anyway. So th- that was just my main argument was that there needs to be for that film specifically, not every film, but he needed to have a bit of a blow up where it's like he can't just take it anymore because emotionally, a lot of men, let's be honest, when they bottle up emotions and keep it together, they will either implode or explode. They will either hurt themselves in some way um, or they will accidentally just let the cork off the bottle and it just goes everywhere. Their motions fly, go out everywhere. And then at the end of that scene, 
where you're like, okay, it's fine. You, you can see, I can't even remember the character's name, but you see my character's like face Dale. just kind of be like, thank you. Gail just be like, oh fuck, what did I just do? I freaked out for no reason. And I think I scared you too when I said monologue. No, sorry, you were Glenn. I was, I was Dale. Oh, Glenn. Glenn. Sorry. Right. I think I scared you too when I said monologue because I wasn't thinking of like a two page thing or like a seven minute monologue like they did in the bear. I was just thinking of like what happened in the film. Like he's working himself up like four to five sentences. Um, but again, 48 hour thing. Nobody's getting sleep. Shit happens. And what came out, I think was a pretty decent product. Yeah, for sure. I, I just remember I, I kind of helped you rework the monologue because like what your original draft yes, was just you really, did. like raw emotion on the page. And I didn't even really rewrite the words so much. I just kind of looked at it and I was like, oh, it's better if like put this sentence up here. I kind of just rearranged the chunks of it. But uh, you had a really good thing going on there for sure. Uh, so after. Well, Justin, do you want to tell your story about your trip to McDonald's just for a bit of context on where we oh, were? Oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys are both writing away. Ryan's writing his monologue. Joe's writing the thing. I'm not a writer. I'm bad at uh, writing dialogue, so I, I you're, leave you're that a story up to guy. Joe most of the time. Story yeah. in and, general uh, is your thing. So I got hungry. They weren't hungry. So I was like, that's it. I'm going to McDonald's because I was bored. So... I walked through this sketchy alleyway with uh, crazy dudes banging their heads off of uh, garage doors, uh, middle of the night, downtown Toronto somewhere, got McDonald's, came back, and uh, yeah, I was never going to do that again. That wasn't very smart. A prostitute tried to solicit you. Oh, yeah. That was downtown Toronto <laughs> that was that was interesting yeah yeah Toronto's an interesting place and it like is the land uh the the cultural melting pot of so many different cultures around the world and you get some uh interesting figures in it and some of them are at the head of our uh political uh parties so that's great anyway <laughs> he came back with our dinner and so then we got to move on to Ryan's apartment and we basically spent the next 46 hours in Ryan's basement apartment. The three of us just breathing down each other's necks and trying to make a film however possible. We came up for air sometimes, uh, took a bit of a walk in the neighborhood, but uh, it was both, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. We had a lot of fun in the in the apartment, but also three guys with very strong artistic visions in this little space together. Not much reprieve from each other. It got a little heated sometimes. Not so much the first night, because most of that first night was just, oh, okay, we, I got the story, and now I'm going to pull an all-nighter writing it and doing the script uh, or in the shot lists and whatnot. But it got worse on the last day, I'd say, when you guys were were editing it. I, I mean, at that point, I was mostly asleep, but I, I heard you guys arguing about, well, why, why do you have to do it frame precise audio? 
Oh, oh my on. god. It was it was more than frame precise. It was like audio. Yeah, whatever's precise. whatever's so like stupid. lower than a frame. Justin was so the way Yeah. You can explain it better, but the way like Justin had to line up the audio track so that they sync. He doesn't do it like a normal person where he normals it like just goes up through uh the frame like frame per second and lines it up like that. He goes down to like the atoms of the audio file and makes it line up there because he has a superpower that's, where that's he exactly can see right. like the millisecond of a desync or something like that. And as a guy who is very like an on-time person, which is so funny looking back on it because we were 12 hours early handing it in. We're just like this I hope this doesn't take too long. And he's like no, it'll, it'll be fine. And then it was like 6 a.m. and I was like have you are you doing a rough cut? He's like, I'm doing it right now. I was like, well, what happened? This is the audio. Well, I told you it would take too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the audio took most yeah, of the Yeah, well I I I f- accidentally discovered how to how to clean it all up because Ryan blew out the uh the lav mic, which was not his fault. We you know, all of us were kind of new to it. So windy day. Nobody too. was nobody was able to listen to it. Yeah, it was windy. Yeah. So automatically, as an actor, you want to project. Um, but so somewhere along the way, when I was trying to line everything up, I listened to it with all the tracks stacked on top of each other, and it sort of cleaned itself up. Um, oh, yes, I remember this. Which in the future, uh, when we did Battle for Blood, I did a similar thing. Um, but because we were more careful with it, uh, using the clacker and everything, when I synced everything up, I did not have to do any frame precise syncing because it synced up perfectly. So we learned our lesson there uh, and made that not such a slow process the, the next time we did a 48-hour challenge. Well, just for some added context here, part of the problem is that this is the first time in really our filmmaking history we were trying to use multiple audio sources. So we had two two lav mics on our actor well, three at some points actually with me ryan and emily and then we had our shotgun mic on the camera so for some shots we were working with four different audio sources and we really had no experience or clue how to balance them so we tried this thing where we stacked them all on top of each other and to do that without any kind of reverb effect we had to get frame precise lineups which was a real because well what we had to do first was we had to edit each separate piece of audio per shot and then we had to frame precise line them all up so we didn't get any reverb and the problem with that extra was that a lot of our takes were pretty short so we weren't just keeping the camera rolling we actually had to clip in i don't know crying over milk was 50 shots or some odd like that so we had to do that about 50 times for three audio sources per shot, stacking them on top of each other. It was a real waste of time in retrospect, but it was kind of the best we knew how to do that night. So, yeah, so the first night I spent editing, uh, writing and, and uh, doing the shot lists and you and I did a table read six, seven in the morning. We woke Justin up from his slumber and uh, got him to read it over. And he said, yep, yep, that's good. And then she doesn't remember. 
Yeah. I don't think I don't think it happened. Halfway through the next day, you you were you oh. came up. You came up. Oh no, I remember what it was. I wanted you to do a certain shot, and then you said, "What? I I can't do that. I can't do the shot this way." And I said, "Justin, at about seven in the morning, you and I went over the script and the shot list together. We we went through this, and you're like, no, we didn't. I'm like, did did you did you just think you were dreaming?" <laughs> The funniest part is he physically got up and moved to like where we were writing. That's the funniest part. And the fact that he doesn't remember any of that, I just think is really funny. And just showed how sleep deprived we all were. And there was also the famous... That was the first night too. Yeah. (laughs) I hadn't even done anything yet. All I did was go to McDonald's. (laughs) And there was also the famous Murgid incident. Oh, Murgid. Oh, God. Murgid? I was I spent so long editing the audio and and the button when you when you combined everything it would make a clip called merged it would take you know shot 33 and merged and that was the clip that you had to make and each person labeled their audio a little bit different so I could know if it was Joe's audio or Ryan's audio or Emily's audio and then at some point in the night I looked and I'm like who started calling their thing Murgid <laughs> and that was when I realized that that was literally the files that I was making were called merged and I couldn't read anymore. And this was God knows how long into editing. See, he'd seen this, this like merged what, one clip. in the morning. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was one. Two that in was the morning. Th- that was on shot 31 out of 33. <laughs> yeah, you'd seen over 30 times of this merged and then suddenly it confused you, and I'm like, "What? What do you? Why are you so confused? You've seen this thirty times tonight. What's What's Murgid? Like it's, it's merged. It's merged, buddy. I think I was asleep at this point. Yeah, we were all kind of cycling. We all took rotations. <laughs> I think yeah, because that was when we all got up. We went we went to McDonald's at like one in the morning or something and then we all came back and then Joe slept and Ryan stayed up with me yeah that first day I was up for I think 23 hours straight something like like I was up and then I was up for 23 hours straight but I think I'd only if we're counting the day before that as well where I didn't get a whole lot of sleep I I think that was the night where I slept like an hour like the ratio was one hour of sleep to 40 hours being awake or something crazy like that. Like I, I stayed awake 23 hours in one stretch, but it was something like a, something crazy like that. It was one hour of sleep or 40 hours of waking time within a two day period. Sometime that weekend, it was nuts. I I was very tired on Monday. There was a moment where both of you were sleeping. I think it was because either we just took a quick break or something was rendering. And I was just like, well, there's no room for me to sleep. It's early enough in the day. I'm going to go grocery shopping. And I, <laughs> and I went and fully got groceries. And then like a few hours later, I think one of you went to get water in the fridge. And I think it was Joe. And he's like, where did all this food come from? I was like, oh, yeah, I went grocery shopping. <laughs> you went grocery shopping? I didn't no, even know I, you did I that. Yeah, that. I did. <laughs> what? And then yeah, there you was guys a were time. Dead asleep. Yeah, and then there was the time you were dead asleep. And then Justin and I went to that cafe for breakfast. Yeah. You were still asleep. You're like, Ryan, do you want to go? I was like, no. (laughs) I think I'm going to stay here and sleep. (laughs) 
So then there came the actual shoot itself at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning on the Saturday of the 48-hour challenge. So your friend Emily came to your apartment. We spent about an hour reading the script through, getting you all mic'd up, mostly properly this time. This time we didn't have any clothes rustling, ruining anything. So that was was good. Um, Emily was great. First time meeting her. She was uh, super professional. I think that's one of my biggest takeaways from crying over milk. I mean, not, not you, like you were perfectly professional on Blue Storm, but working with you and Emily together that day was like, oh, so this is what we've been missing our entire careers. Two professional actors for an entire day who can actually memorize their lines. And, uh, and you do, like Justin as an editor... Uh, talk talk about what you noticed Ryan did with his hair and stuff like that to help you on. Oh, there was even um, yeah, there was a shot where I did I ended up doing a match cut because Ryan did this thing where he slicked his hair back, right? Did this movement where he slicked his hair back, and at the be- at the beginning of the next shot, like he did that right at the end of the shot, not knowing if that was going to make the shot or not. At the beginning of the next shot, before he starts his lines, he does it again. And it wasn't on, per- like, I think it was on, like, you thought about it. You, you, you know. I can it wasn't just, like, say something right here and now, it was very did. much on purpose. Yeah. And so when I came to editing with that, I was like, oh my god, there's a perfect, like, action that I can do a perfect match cut on. And it it's, oh, it was so satisfying. And that was a lesson learned. Oh, wait, maybe people who went to school for acting actually know how to act and they do things that we don't even really realize could be done that make our lives easier as directors and editors for continuity purposes also i think it's just i i would also call myself a bit of an editor as well um i did do the end credits and the color grading on this film but justin did way more heavy load of the work I think the only thing I did in terms of editing was just I tightened up a few cuts because it felt, I don't know if it's because we were both sleep deprived and it felt too long for me and I had cutting them down too short. But with the hair slicking thing, I don't know if I did that uh, knowing I did that or if I did because it was so long ago. But just knowing that continuity can really make or break a shot, can like throw someone off in, in the audience. It's just like a little thing that an actor can fix while on set or a director notices. Um, so, yeah, I think just subconsciously I was like, well, I had my hair slicked back here. And we did that throughout the entire shoot, too. Where it was like, where is our my hand when we were talking the scene? Where is this wide shot? Because there's a point where my hands were in my pockets. And I kept asking, can you see them or not? Or when did I take them out? So, yeah, just continuity is it's always something to think about but i also do love it when i see a continuity error in a film or two because like haha it's filmmakers making a mistake (laughs) speaking of continuity errors this one was a bit of a screwed with our mind a little bit because emily's character is a figment of your imagination and we did this thing where we intentionally had her show up at random parts in the frame every every single cut your continuity is consistent hers is intentionally all over the place just to feel extra jarring exactly yeah and that was so hard for justin and i to do on purpose because who makes continuity errors by accident or i mean by on purpose 
It is very weird. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a painful process, and I think that was kind of a learning experience as well because not having the time to you know do like a test shoot or something and see if it actually works, like clip something together and be like, oh no, you know what? I don't actually like that. Let's let's change this. Well, we didn't really have that option, so we had to. We went with our first idea, our gut, our gut idea, and I'm not sure if I like how it turned out, to be honest, um, because it is kind of jarring, but not enough. Like, you you don't really know that she's not there for real. And Yeah, I think we also tried in little... the editing process, we tried to do, like, audio cues, too, when, like, when she would pop in, but it, it, it just sounded cliche and it didn't feel right. Or we couldn't find the right sound for her to to know when she popped in. But with what we did in the time we have, I think it came off pretty well. Because um, there's shots where it's just uh, me and Joe on screen. And then we'll cut to a wide and we're all there. But I'm not really looking at Emily. Joe's not Joe's not looking at Emily at all. So that's kind of a giveaway. Um, I think but yeah, it's is- just it's it's so tough. I think part of the reason it works well is because of, like you said, there's shots of just the two of us. She's clearly not there. And then there's other shots she is. You do acknowledge her. Even if you don't look at her, your face is reacting to what she's saying to you. But my character, Dale, he's just kind of talking like she's not even... He's talking about Emily in the third person like she's not sitting right next to him. He's kind of looking over at Glenn like she's not there. So I'm clearly completely oblivious, but based on I think based on the way we did it, it's obvious enough she's just in your head. And um, oh yeah, I th- I think the audience does get that. I just think that the way she jumps around just it's so it's so jarring that it feels I don't know if it feels like it needed something a little more just to like it just didn't play out the way we thought it would when we filmed it right yeah um so knowing that you know going into another 48 i don't know if we would if i would take a gamble on on doing something like that again right um you know a a, a regular film where we have all the time in the world you know I, I you and me could you know we could try it test it cut it together and see if it See if it does the effect that you want, right? You can play around with it before you have your actors and before you have that time where it's like, okay, we got to get the shots today. We need to do this now, right? But uh, trying trying some, like, you know, part of the 48 was trying something new and yeah, does it work? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. So... Another thing we had to try new that was weird was shooting on your smartphone, which your phone doesn't have the best battery. So that was really, that was really frustrating. We actually had to stop halfway through the shoot to go back to Ryan's apartment and charge up his phone because we couldn't use any of our phones because I was like, we were using the rest of our phones for lav mics. And besides that, the camera wouldn't look the same at all. So we needed that one specific phone. Oh, and then the um, and then the nine volt battery died on our, on our on our microphone, so we had to rush to the convenience store to get the the nine volt batteries. So we had some battery problems that day, I recall. Well, even we we went, you know, Ryan Ryan went to sleep. We went to the cafe with the phone plugged in. That's when we went to the cafe was because we were charging it. We came back from the cafe and uh, the. Because I left the phone on on the gimbal. Well, the gimbal tipped, 
And uh, the charger came right out, and it wasn't charged. And we were like, uh, okay, there's another hour that's going to be wasted. We weren't super concerned by that point, at least because it was mid-afternoon on the Saturday. We'd already gotten the hardest part of our shoot done with Emily, who left us by that point. We got lunch. We had over 24 hours to go before the film needed to be submitted. We were in a good place, not super stressed out, thankfully. It was more of a minor inconvenience at that point than something that derailed the film. So we we were lucky there. Things went smoother than they could have gone, at least. Uh, another challenge that I had working on this film was pulling double duty as an actor-director, which is something... Justin and I have done for most of our filmmaking careers the last 10 years. But this one, we were trying to make a little bit more professional. So it it's a challenge for me for multiple reasons. For, for one thing, my mind, I'm very single-minded. I'm very focused on what I'm doing at any given time. So it's hard to be the, the writer, the, the writer and main director of the film when, well, Justin's got his shot lists in front of him, but I've got to explain the shot lists to him, how I imagined it framed in my head. I've got to direct Ryan and Emily, and I've got to memorize my lines as well, which is the biggest problem for me. I've always sucked at line memorization, and I know they're and not... you got to know the shot composition, too. What's next? Yeah, and also keeping track of all the order and marking what shots we've done. I had a lot on my plate to keep track of, so I felt like I was kind of falling down on all fronts. I wasn't being a strong enough director to my director of photography or to my actors or doing the best acting I could on the day either. I was just kind of, I was pulling a jack of all trades, master of none. I was just, I was taking on a lot that morning and I think. And all on one hour of sleep. Well, yeah, that's yeah. another problem too. I wasn't fully. I had I hadn't even had breakfast that morning either. I don't think so. I was like on an hour of sleep. Like I I felt okay. Was the thing my energy level was okay, but I know my mind wasn't functioning as well as it should have been, and I was dividing my focus, which I've never been good at, even when my mind is fully rested and energized. So it was not an ideal situation for me. But I think it was, I, I think I handled things mostly competently on all fronts considering, but it should have been better than it was. Yeah, I mean, again, when you're working with a small crew and you take on so many titles, you're going to have slip ups here and there. Um, but like, again, everything was settled pretty fine. And, you know, at the end of the day, nobody was offended. Nobody got hurt. There was a couple times where there were some small arguments here and there on set. I can remember one where I think I spoke up about something, but I think I was just tired. Whereas we kept cutting after every two lines. And I was just, why we keep changing the angle of the shot after every line? I just felt it was jarring. But after watching the film, it's I don't notice it at all. So... It's just like things where you can think about on set and then later on you think about it and you're like, or you watch it and you're like, oh, it didn't matter that much at all. <laughs> well, and we, we, we didn't have time to like, obviously, uh, we talked about how I went over the shots apparently in the morning, uh, but I had no memory of that. So we, we really didn't like if I 
if I didn't even have time to wake up to look over the shots, we, we didn't really have time to plan out any unique shots, too. Uh, we kind of had to figure those out on the fly, and so it's kind of hard, like, you know, when it's, especially a dialogue scene, it's hard to avoid uh, doing shot reverse shot, right, for for everything, and, and then there reached a point where, where we were, like, we were like, uh, are these all put together, because this is a lot of shot reverse shot, and we tried, I think for that one, we ended up doing uh, a couple lines in a row on, on one shot, just to kind of get it done, because we realized, you know, it's just, it was shot reverse shot for quite a while. We don't want to be boring and repetitive, and that's the most repetitive and boring thing a filmmaker can do, is shot reverse shot. Try to switch it up better than that. I did try to plan better, but see, the other thing was, and it's like I brought up earlier when you couldn't look at the shots. I tried to plan for some fancier shots, but then it came time to do it. And then you took a look at the list again and you said, oh, I, I can't I can't physically do this with the equipment we've got either because like it's a it's a physical impracticality or the equipment or like I can't do this on a phone or it was just oh, well, now we have to default to shot, reverse shot. That's not what I wanted, but oops, we couldn't do the other thing. Yeah, the phone was the main problem because if you moved a few meters back or something like that, it'd be out of focus. And then you have to tap the screen to put it back in focus. But when you tap the screen, you hear a loud, like, thud or whatever. It's just all these little things. Then the white balance gets fucked up. It's like... You know, we're we're people from film school and we have film background and working with a smartphone is not the most ideal. You know, all those phone commercials where they say, hey, you can shoot a movie on a phone. Well, you can. It's not ideal. That's why people don't do it. But I digress. We yeah, it got was it definitely done. it definitely added more to the challenge than I, th- I thought it actually would. I was like, oh, it's whatever. It's just a shooting on a smartphone and it really did affect it more more than than I would have ever thought. The amount of times I saw Justin look so confused because he was trying to figure out the white balance on a phone was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Because he was getting like these wide arrays of like why is like Ryan and Emily's forehead so bright when it's not even that sunny out. It'd just be the wildest thing. And it's funny because I, I missed. Oh, yeah. Even even post-processing, we, we had to do a lot of cleanup just to make, like, we had one shot where we walked under this big tree and patches of light came down. And it's like, oh, my God, the camera just went, like, well, the phone went back and forth just really rapidly between two, two very different um, lights, right? So we had to really clean that up. That took a, a while to, to fix. But on a on a camera, the camera is usually not that sensitive and wouldn't react that fast while you're you're actively filming. It doesn't try to do that. So yeah, we need one of those for like outside shots. We need one of those like stuff that they put in a giant frame, like a piece of silk, and then just you put those over the actors, and then it's just an even lighting throughout the entire scene. Should be the next next investment. (laughs) Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the behind the scenes, but we haven't talked a lot about the story of Crying Over Milk. So basically what it's about is this guy named Glenn, he's got this wife named Claire, who 
they are just fresh off a major fight and because he forgot the milk at the grocery store. So he sets back out into the neighborhood on a walk to the grocery store to get some milk. And he's interrupted by his neighbor, Dale, who kind of, after some prodding, admits that he overheard this fight between Glenn and Claire. And he wonders why, why all the, all the fuss over, over, why all the crying over milk, basically. Um, so then it, so then it starts to come out that Dale, uh, sorry, that Glenn and Claire, their marriage is obviously very rocky. Obviously, Claire wouldn't really be so upset over just the milk. It's more what the milk represents. It's Glenn's neglect as a husband or his perceived neglect in his own mind. He thinks, well, you know, she's like, I hate that she's so angry at me all the time but maybe I actually deserve that for something I did. I'm not attentive enough. I probably should have remembered the milk. She's clearly miserable and I'm the cause of that, but she also makes me miserable. So we're this, like my life's kind of just falling apart. I feel like I'm a, I'm a punching bag and I, but all I can do is kind of just stomach it and go get the milk. Oh yeah. And then we have our eavesdropping neighbor slapping me on the shoulder, prodding into my personal business. That's not a his business. And I don't really like the guy, but I don't want to tell him to screw off either. So I'm just stuck walking with this guy all the way to the store. Who's pestering me while I'm thinking about all my life's problems until he blows up. So when it came to the concept of relations, we decided to go with multiple relations. It's the crumbling relations between a man and his wife. It's the, it's the tense, but kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It just the forced social politeness of hanging out with a neighbor you don't like. It's a relationship of this guy with his deteriorating mental health. There was about three different branches of relations all coalescing into Glenn's eventual breakdown and I love the final shot of the movie because it kind of turned out it, it turned out pretty well I thought with um when we're walking through your neighborhood there's I a love sign. those last two shots yeah there there was a sign on the on the corner store that said seven days a week and we see Ryan as Glenn looking up at this sign and then looking down in defeat. And I just love the idea of this sign seven days a week. Like he's looking up. That was always the shot we were going to have. He looks up at the store and then it looks depressed. But the fact that we're having him react to the sign seven days a week, he's just thinking, oh, crap, this is my life seven days a week. This is what I have to go back to. If I go get the milk now, that's just the problem solved for today. But this is, this is forever, really, and I am not okay with that. Is, or like, is he gonna break out of the cycle? Is he gonna be forced to keep living through it? Well, you can decide. Uh, he, we definitely got to give credit to uh, Ryan because he uh, he definitely came up with the idea though of of those two shots where it's like. You know, almost a perspective of him looking at the sign, and then it was the sign looking down on him, which was, it was, when he said it, I was like, oh, that's, that's a great idea. Hopefully we could do it. Well, it was and the perfect it, marriage, it, I think it right? it turned out great. It was the perfect marriage, because Ryan came up with that idea to look at the sign, and then we found that seven days a week sign, which I just think, 
made it even more symbolic and metaphorical and perfect in every way. Yeah. And it was the way the building was shaped too perfectly where we were able to line up, uh, me in the frame where it just looks like I, I love camera angles and just certain shots and film where it looks like a building or something is bigger than it actually is. And then it just adds to like this symbolic nature of what the shot is. I was afraid I was stepping on toes there because Joe is the shot guy. He's the writer. I was like, I have this one idea. Can we just do it? And I was happy it was, it got put in. Um, well, that's, that's kind of why process, for like, like our next seen. film, I took like a huge, I was like, okay, I'm just going to be an actor today. I was like, cause I felt on crying for milk. I felt like I was too much stepping on toes a little bit or putting myself too forward creatively. So like for, um, <clears throat> battle for blood, I was like, I'm just going to be an actor. I'm just going to let these guys do what they do best. Cause it was, it's more of comedy and, uh, I'm just going to do what they tell me to do. And it both turned out great. But yeah, those last two shots for crying over milk, they still like stick with me just how it's the composition of it, the color correction of it, how it's shot, how Justin framed it. Um, yeah, I love those shots. The other bit of symbolism I really like in the film is, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember if this was intentional or just a happy accident, but that you and Emily wore very similar colored clothes. Was that- I told, it's so funny because I told Emily to dress up like a bum and she dressed up like that. That's her version of dressing up like a bum, I guess, is to dress in normal Great. clothes. Yeah. Um, or maybe that just got lost in translation when I messaged her the night before. Uh, no, that was not intentional. But uh, it's it's funny just how it worked out. Well, not so much that she's dressing up like a bum. I just mean I like I like the idea on a symbolic level that you and her were both wearing. Um, I don't really know what you'd call it. They're kind of like the same colors, like maroon colors. I like the yeah. idea that like she, he wears the same thing as Claire because she, she kind of owns him in a way like they're they're like Dale is wearing more light blues and like he's there, but these two are a set. And because she's clearly the more dominant one in, in the relationship, I just, I kind of like the underlying idea. Like, Oh, this is more, this is probably her style, which he's kind of aping probably because she told him even the way he dresses is submissive. You could read into it that way. That's how I choose to read into it, which I just, I can't remember if we told her to wear a similar color to you. I feel like. We did not. No, we did not. We did. She showed up. She showed up and I was like, this hoodie kind of matches. Let's just do that because it would probably look good on film. It wasn't anything because of like, oh, it just happened. It was just a realization you might have had later on. But no, there was no like planning of. I don't know if I told her to dress up like a bum actually or just dress up casually. But like even then, (laughs) I was like, wear what you would wear around the house. I think that's what I said. I was like, you're not wearing jeans around the house. But whatever. It's Emily. She's she's great. She showed up great style. She was very professional. Was very... Not shocked, but very impressed to see how much she got down in terms of the lines with just an hour of reading prep time. Or, I mean, the way shots were, she's a professional, and I love working with her. She's one of my best friends. She was exceptional. I had no idea what to expect when, well, the night before, we, when we were making the film, we... Oh, right, this is right, yep. 
Yeah, well, see, we had a draft of the film. Originally, when we came up with the concept, the idea was based around that old joke, oh, dad went to get milk and never came back. And originally, it was more about, not a father and son, but the idea of Glenn's friend following him. And it, it was about. It was always about his walk to the store. And he had this friend who kind of chimed in for exposition about the deteriorating relationship with his wife and he was thinking oh do I leave the wife but I have I have this son and by the time he got to the store he was going to make that decision that was the original concept and then while it kind of pivoted to get rid of the son entirely and it, it just make it more about Glenn and Dale and then we thought well you know it would change this whole thing and make it so much better if the wife was a larger part of this too because it's so much more powerful the wife getting to share the thoughts in her own words or at least glenn's interpretation of her words which i think personally is pretty fair even in his own mind she's got some good points it's still not her yeah that was keep another that in argument mind. we had <laughs> yeah uh it's still not entirely her but also it's it's his version of arguments they've had in uh, in his mind and like i said she's got a lot of points so even in his own mind he's the bad guy he's really internalized a lot of things so just having her there made it so much more powerful there was a version of this script though where it was just glenn and dale talking about their crumbling marriage because we didn't know if we could get emily justin and i don't know very many female actresses and you you just happen to have this friend who we had no idea and you oh really fantastic you wow she agreed on no notice at all that's amazing and yeah, which uh, was pretty wild i hope it turns yeah, out she was available yeah so i'm um so then we had the screening for that uh a while ago that was i don't know that was back in i don't even remember I think it was that. july that was back I in summer say. Yeah, yeah, that was a, so. This was our first screening of the year, and that was pretty crazy for us because we never had a public screening before. That wow, we get to sit in a in a in a big room and watch us on a watch our faces on a big screen for a relatively small crowd, but it was still more people than we'd ever had at a screening like this. It was crazy, and uh, it was fun. And we're just sitting in the dark, waiting in anticipation for our film to show up and. Yeah, a lot of them were good efforts for the 48, but uh, I'll be the egotist here. We were we were the top, personally. We were the best all around. There were a couple others that were pretty impressive in many ways, but I, I do think we were the best all around in that competition, even though we didn't win. I agree. <laughs> we got the most specific compliments from people about the writing, the acting, the like the only thing we were down on was cinematography and the winners had better cinematography than us. But frankly, that was literally the only thing they did better than us. Yeah. The winners well, the did like is, a fight scene they, type of thing. Yeah. Well, they had, yeah, they had the interesting cinematography and they also had, um, like they said, uh, somebody in the audience actually called out what they 
based their thing on. So there was another short film that they knew about that they basically remade. Um, and so their, their acting wasn't very good. The story wasn't actually all that unique. Um, but they were, it, it was what the festival was really looking at was more, um, the cinematography, the, the filmmaking of it. It was a small, they didn't really judge it based on, you know, nobody, I don't think anybody else had any professional actors, not, not even, not even one in the entire rest of the competition. Uh, so I think we focused really heavy on the story and the acting and the look of everything. Um, but we didn't spend all that much time on the cinematography because we, we just kind of put that second, right? So it just happened to be that in that competition, they looked more at the cinematography than anything else. Well, cause I think a large that's part kind of it, put us below a large part of it was basically how good can you make a film look on a smartphone was sort of the whole point of the competition just to show smartphones are a legitimate way to make film. So we didn't really realize going in how heavily they were weighing the cinematography when, in retrospect, that should have been obvious that that was sort of the whole goal of the festival was about the visuals on a phone. Yep. And some people try to film uh, screens with their phones and clearly blew out the fucking lens with the light of the screen, which was tough to watch. But hey, some people see things and some people can't. Yeah. But on to our final film of the year, which we just did a couple weeks ago. Battle for Blood. That's with a four in the middle because it's supposed to be the fourth in the series. Ha ha ha. It's like fan four stick. Get it? Uh, so this one was another 48 hour film challenge, but this was the original 48 hour film challenge, the 48 hour film project Toronto, which is an international competition the big boy competition. Yeah. Big boy competition. Uh, this one, 118 teams entered just in Toronto. There's what did they say? 125 cities around the world participate. And, well, basically, this is a, a road up to the Cannes Film Festival. If, like, for the winner, winners across the entire world out of everybody doing these competitions. So you can you can do the math. 125 cities, over 100 teams per city. And basically, the best out of all of them gets to go to Cannes, which would have been absolutely incredible. Uh, I don't think we ever seriously expected to get even near that far. But... Well, because see, the thing is, unlike the smartphone film competition, this one was anything goes. There's no restrictions on our equipment. So now money actually factors in. That one, the playing field was level. So it was all about how good are you at actually making films. This one, you can cheat a little bit with high production value. Can It's you a little bit more pay to win. Yeah, can you rent good equipment? Can you hire more crew? Not that there's really prize money involved. It's sort of people are kind of just blowing the money for bragging rights, basically. But anyway, we we did learn quite a, a bit on this I think a lot of people own that equipment, if I'm going to be honest. I think a lot of people own that equipment. Not the people we talked to. Everyone talked about renting, basically. Gotcha. 
yeah, we didn't at at our screening. Yeah, they had to divide it into screenings uh, because there was a hundred films to screen. So, uh, but at our screening, uh, I don't think there was anybody there that was like, like we talked to a lot of people who had budgets and cameras, and none of them were in our screening. So, <laughs> yeah, should we talk a little bit about what we learned at those meetups about people, or is that going to get us in trouble? No, let's move on. <laughs> Do it. Nope, we're moving on. Now we let's talk about the it's film. A, no, it, it is it is a learning experience. Look, we learned going in that a lot of people in the Toronto film scene are too egotistical for their own good. I'm not gonna name names. There were a lot of people I genuinely liked. To be clear, I'm not a fake person. So if I if you seem like I liked you, I probably did if you happen to be watching this. But there are so many people that we met that were very full of themselves, overestimate their talents, and are just generally people I would never want to work with. It was really disillusioning. We went to multiple of these meetups and everybody there acted like such a big deal. It was actually refreshing to find some of the few people with humility who didn't oversell themselves. We we talked to a lot of these people here and we're like, oh, so what what have you actually done? And they throw out a lot of big things that they work on, but it's also like, well well if you're are you if you're that big a deal, are you really gonna be doing these little competitions? Like you're really overselling yourself, I think. We always try, like Justin and I, when we're there, we always tried to be more upfront about what level we actually are. Give people a clear indication, okay, who you're getting win with small potatoes here. But, yeah, you have anything to add there? No, I, th- I, I think that about sums it up. I think we uh, might have killed Ryan. I'm staying out of frame for this one. Now, Ryan's just embarrassed because he he's, doesn't want to be associated with that. Yeah. He's deeper into the uh, in the Toronto film scene than we are, and we're declaring war against the Listen. Toronto film scene already <laughs> oh before getting into it. A lot of people, especially in Toronto, I will be the devil's advocate f- for once here. Um, it's Toronto. It's one of... It is one of the two major filming cities in Canada. A lot of the productions that happen here in Toronto, they're mostly American. Um, And the stuff that is Canadian is more indie products and all that stuff. And a lot of the film industry is networking. It is, what have you done? Where have you been? What are you currently doing? And yes, I agree, a lot of those people when they are networking tend to brag a bit too much on what they've been on but that's kind of the whole point is like what have you been on where are you going with this what are you doing now um but there are some people i will agree that take it way too over the top and then think they are uh too good to do some things but uh i was not with you at these meetings so i cannot attest to the level of egoness that you saw um but yeah that's kind of what the film industry is about however in saying that 
I don't think you need to brag about what show you've been on. It's just like, yeah, I've done some stuff and I'm doing this for fun. I'll tell you about the people I liked. There's that's a good conversation starter is, hey, what have you been on? What What have you worked on? What's your general experience level? And then you move on to all kinds of conversation. Maybe we're like some of my favorite conversations with those people when we're talking about just films we like or directors or genres or just kind of just cracking jokes about the film industry in general. Like we're having good conversations, but it's the people who keep trying to sell themselves once the conversation's already started. Those are the people who rub me the wrong way, who won't shut up about everything they've done like well okay fine okay i I got i got the idea but now i'm trying to vibe with you one one to one here and just get get to know who you are as a person not who you are as a career it's anyway suffice it to say we didn't end up working with any of those people and we stuck with our same old crew uh minus plus a couple this time uh some worlds collided when we brought our old friend Mateo in the work with Ryan here. Uh, it's like old thought play media and, and, and the new crew coming together and our other friend, Daniel Tian from, uh, from high school as well. We, uh, Justin did improv with him for, for a long time back in high school and, uh, yeah, it was kind of a shot in the dark contacting him. We're like, oh, well, you're you're in the film industry. You went to school for production design and uh, you could help us out, maybe. Uh, and he said, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm available. And our other friend, Mateo, he was available too. Fantastic. We got a, we got a crew going. And um, so for this one, the idea was that they give you a genre, a character who has a specific career, uh, a line of dialogue and a prop and everyone had to use the same one everyone had to have a character named Kylie the professional chef everyone had to use the line well who knew and everyone needed to use a postcard at some point in the film a lot more specific parameters for this 48 so then they broke us into groups every group had about 13 people or so and they tried to give different genres to every one in every group our genre we got was horror slash sports or game film. So Justin and I work at uh, John's Firewood and we have this great woodlot with a whole lot of equipment we could use for a horror film. We have this giant saw. We got a loader. We have these log piles we could use to like a like a maze or uh, or something we had all these really cool ideas to use for a horror film and so the competition starts at seven o'clock and we have we were shooting the breeze for three hours trying to come up with a great horror film to use uh and it was originally going to star ryan's friend emily and then about three hours in we are we're just about to start writing the script and Emily calls us up says I am incredibly sick basically bedridden and I I'm sorry guys I can't do it and then Justin and I just sort of stopped for for a little while and we said 
yeah, that that's fine. You, you can't do it, but we got we got two other guys who can act, and um, we can pivot. We we can still do this. So then we we went back to the shop. We were out to get dinner at this point. We went, we're, we're about four hours into the competition at this point. Justin's like, well, that's it for me. I'm going to bed. He goes upstairs. I open up my laptop, start typing away, fade in, stare at the screen, start wandering around the shop at the woodlot just because I, I don't want to write this. The, like as soon as like the vibe's dead. <laughs> at this point we know it's not going to work we can't place why but the vibe is dead and then about five minutes later justin comes down we can't do this we we, we got to do something else <laughs> yes please and yeah. then it was about what uh two three hours of of the worst ideas we've ever come up with <laughs> yeah look so the problem in essence here is we realized that the thing about horror movie is that it basically has to have a female protagonist just functionally like when bad things are happening to or around women it's horrifying when bad things are happening to or around men it's just it doesn't feel the same it's not horror anymore it's a thriller because you just like we as a society like i'm not telling you it's right or wrong but functionally as a society we don't treat horrific things happening to men the same way it's not a horror anymore if two guys are the lead it just it wasn't the same anymore yeah i mean think about like halloween scream um psycho it's got a female protagonist in it horror movies classic horror stuff and not to say they have to be helpless either. I mean, Ripley's the protagonist of Alien. She's awesome. But it's, uh, or like Sarah Connor in Terminator. Like, it, it's not that they can't be awesome, but it, it needs to be a Rose female Mary's lead. Ba- baby. <laughs> yeah, that's just the way it goes. So we had, to, okay, you know what? We have sports or game film. The, what the are we bitch. Do? Sorry. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah, well, horror out. That's not going to work. So we have sports or game film. What are we going to do? And then we're just trying to come up with anything we could possibly do until I came up with literally the worst thing ever. Um, I, oh, I said, God. okay, okay, we got about five guys coming. You have all these uh, minis you've been printing on your new 3D printer. We have our, we have our D&D books. Uh, we have a table. We have a room. Let's, let's, do a, let's do a D&D thing. It's a game film. We can do that. And then Justin was like, Really? We're we have all this equipment on the woodlot and we're gonna have everybody come here just to play D and D? And I'm like, Yeah, well, we're we're giving up D and D this weekend just to play D and D on a film. And then we started crying. <laughs> For about a half hour. Crying and laughing. Because it was just so stupid. <laughs> uh, we hit rock bottom there. And we're like... I, c- I couldn't hysteric- believe we were about to make a movie. Yeah, of just four dudes sitting in a room. <laughs> 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 and 
<laughs> we had the whole we had the whole yard, we had all the equipment, we had these awesome kills planned, and we were about to shoot a movie that was just four dudes sitting in a room playing imaginary games. You're about to make a warp zone sketch. <laughs> <laughs> So we just, yeah. So we we were laughing in hysterics from the from the absurdity of it, and also crying because we were hitting rock bottom. And it was like equal measures laughing and crying for half an hour straight, and it was incredibly uncomfortable and weird. But it it, it was just we were a mess. Uh, and then we decided, okay, okay, we have game film or sports film. We have all these cool kills already planned for the woodlot. So, all right, let's make a, a violent video game where we can have all these kills. Oh, what has awesome kills? Fighting games. So let's do a Mortal Kombat game. And then Justin comes up with, uh, all right, what's a stupid sounding name for a game? Battle for Blood, but it's like the fourth installment. So like the four is a four, right? Sure, let's go with that. So then I came up with this story in about an hour. And Justin said, okay, I'm going to bed. And... Then we, then I spent basically all night writing this thing, just sitting in our office. And then about six in the morning, one of the guys came in for, for work on Saturday morning. He's like, what are you doing here? Just sitting in the dark. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm working, Jim. Just, I'm, I'm working. <laughs> I'm doing something. Yeah. So then we, so basically this battle for blood the best idea I could come up with on such short notice is basically two guys playing a video game in the apartment and the the main guy, Warren, he's he's really emotionally repressed and he won't he won't speak up or anything, but his friend Quinn, who's a sore winner at video games and kind of knows how to goad people on just by being a prick, he knows that Video games, especially competitive ones, can get super frustrating for people. And he knows Warren's just on the edge. So, you know what? I'm going to invite him over for video games, even though he won't like this one. I'm going to force him to play this fighting game, get him into it, crush him over and over and over again until he finally breaks and finally has some emotional release. And that's basically the... And then, just for fun, we're going to actually cut into the game and show our two actors playing out their characters, one of them being Kylie, the professional chef. Um, so part of the challenge was finding ways to incorporate all the all the things we needed to incorporate. So we we're like, oh, you know what? Kylie, the professional chef, which I haven't seen all 118 films, but I think our version of Kylie is probably going to be one of the most creative a uh, lame fighting game character. Well, a lot of the uh, a lot of the films that we saw, a lot of it was centered around an actual chef, and incorporating that into the story. I think ours is the most unique, where it's just kind of, it's not about him, but he's in it, and yeah, it's just, it's just like a fun oh what it like a chef fighting character in this like indie game fighting game. I th- I thought that was very creative and yeah. Uh, for Props the line, thanks. Oh, for the line, who? Well, who knew? It's it's the moment when Quinn finally breaks Warren's spirit, and Warren goes on his big r- emotional rant, 
So he has the slow clap villain moment. Well, who knew? Which, funny enough, I heard a guy behind us in the, for the screening of the film the other day. As soon as he said, well, who knew? Somebody was like, I knew it was going to be there. <laughs> I, could, I could hear him behind us. Uh, predictable, maybe. I don't care. It worked. And for the postcard, this is probably my favorite incorporation. We had this character he was fighting called, Kylie was fighting called American on Vacation. So then for the finishing move, the American whips out a postcard. Take this postcard to hell! And then decapitates Kylie with it. (laughs) Perfect. So good. One of my favorite, (laughs) when we were watching the films, someone's postcard was literally like a brown sheet of paper and it said postcard on it. I thought that was so funny. It was like, oh, we can't find a postcard. <laughs> Let's just we write had postcard. A hard time finding a postcard too. It's tougher like, than I, you all think. It's wild. Yeah, we had to go yeah, on a bit of like, a shopping trip that morning. You think we they'd went, be in we like a dollar to, store what, or something? Yeah, we had to go to Hallmark. Went to Hallmark and they didn't even have like they didn't have them out. We had to specifically ask and be like, "Do you guys have postcards?" And they're like. Uh, yeah, we got like a stack of them in the back. They made, it was like a whole thing to just to get a stupid postcard. I feel like postcards are very much more so for like touristy cities, more so out in, in Europe. So like, why do you want a postcard of Toronto? <laughs> That's probably what everyone's reaction is, but why it's wild to see that they're not find them in new market. Yeah. What right. I want a postcard like, in the upper Canada mall for. It's a good mall. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so that morning for the film shoot, we had to go to... Okay, well, first things first. uh, I'd finished... First things first. Justin texted me at 8 o'clock in the morning. Hey, when are you going to be in Newmarket? I said five minutes. 30 minutes go by, no response. So I figure, hey, I'm just going to call Justin. He's like, hey, I'm here. And you're like, what do you mean you're here? It's like, well, I said I'd be here in five minutes. You did? Yeah, I texted you. <laughs> well, if I recall, the conversation went more like you called. Hey, have you left yet? No. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Long and I was like, silence right. on the other side from you. <laughs> yeah, dead silence. Just nothing. <laughs> I could tell you. Because I assumed like, you were on your way. Inside. Yeah, we yeah, yeah, that was, packed it, up was and- it was a mixed up morning. <laughs> Which was fine. I mean, it, things got done. So then we grabbed you, brought you back to Newmarket, and then we we went shopping to a couple places. We went to Party City, then the Upper Kent, well, then got breakfast, then got to uh, Spirit Halloween, Hallmark. Had to find a chef's hat, which is a lot harder than I thought it would be, even being around Halloween. Yeah. Strangest thing. Strangest thing ever. We had to go to multiple stores just to find that chef's hat. We were nearly going to settle on a Pillsbury Doughboy costume oh, and just God, cut the hat that off. It's so bad. <laughs> I doubt it would have fit. No, the costume was huge. It was a full body suit. It's like a blow up one, too. Yeah, that would have been a mess. Uh, so we got the hat, we got everybody, uh, so then our crew showed up, 
we gave everybody a rundown. This was another first for us because we were actually trying some lighting rigs in Justin's apartment. Got our studio lights out and set them up around the shop. And um, we'll see. We got lucky here because I had to balance the uh, the gimbal as Ryan likes so much. Uh, that's what I was doing when Ryan called me. So we were not prepared. <laughs> No, no, I was still doing shot listing till basically right when we started shooting for that one. Because uh, like we were saying, our night got our night got thrown off. We lost about four or five hours just on the planning um, due to unfortunate circumstances. I don't blame Emily. She was she really was sick. It no hard feelings there. It was right around like flu season just started too for around that time of year. And she was dying. So, yeah, she does feel bad, but, uh, yeah, things happen. Yeah, things happen. We pivoted. So, the shoot, yeah, so we had to get Mateo to sub in as the other actor, because at this point, Justin and I learned from our other films in the year, from when he starred in Blue Star, when I did Crying Over Milk, and we said, you know what, we got multiple people who can act, let's just be behind the camera this time, don't divide our focus, I'll direct you be director of photography. Let's just focus up for once in our whole careers. So this was the first film in in 10 years where Justin and I were behind the camera for basically all of it. Minus two cameo shots, him in the processor, me in the loader. But besides that, we were just crew this time around, which was really refreshing. And I don't, I could definitely feel a difference in my directing. I was definitely a whole lot more focused on planning and and uh, giving the actors direction and Daniel is the boom mic guy and, and Justin is the director of photography. Just the focus was definitely more there. I felt more confident in the role as well. Uh, being an observer, like getting everybody set up and action and just be able to sit back and watch it from an objective point of view instead of being in the in the frame trying to gather what's happening while I'm trying to concentrate on acting too that was always tough and this yeah, time I mean the- like when you're <laughs> it's funny like there's only two specific types of actors I mean uh directors excuse me there's like actor directors and then there's um just like film directors I mean you find that a lot with George Lucas or M. Night Shyamalan, they're very much like story directors and what's going on throughout the story. And they don't give that much like acting advice or like what a character should do in the scene. Um, And then there's like pretty much most, I would say, directors like actor directors or just a mixture of the two. I think it's hard to sort of balance the two out. But on this shoot, you did a pretty good job where I saw the script one way, be like, no, this is what I wanted, the emotion of the character. And you're like, oh, and I said, okay, perfect. That's, that's what we needed. It's what you need on a film set. Yeah, I think you being more of an objective third party, you can see the, the way we did all three of these films different. Like the first one, Justin was acting, I'm behind the camera. The next one, he's behind the camera, I'm acting. This one, we were both behind the camera. And, and I, 
I'm maybe wrong, but I feel like the third one was the smoothest shoot or, or oh, just the sure. most well-focused just because of that. So he definitely improved with every film. Uh, that being said, this film was a bit of a mess in the end. Uh, I, I, I don't know about you guys. I have, I have, I've seen it probably more than either of you. I've been showing a lot of people. I've, I struggle watching this one. I go through a lot of mixed emotions when it's the frame tale with Warren and Quinn. That's 70% of it. It's, it, it can be a bit of a slog to get through. I just, I wrote the damn thing and I don't care. I'm watching it and I'm just like, <laughs> Oh my Lord, this is boring me right now. And then it cuts to Justin's song of a child falling down a xylophone staircase. That's what he called it. If you haven't heard it, you have a good mental image now, I think. So it cuts to the, it cuts to the soundtrack cuts to Ryan and Mateo in their costumes doing fighting puns. And I'm immediately entertained. Like that's some of my favorite stuff I've ever filmed. Probably like the, the battle for blood uh, video game sequences are just really fun to me and really funny and entertaining. And then it cuts back to the apartment stuff. Oh, I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. Oh, and I'm really entertaining. And this film is a mix of emotions. It's a real roller coaster. Um, well, even we went to we went to the screening for Blue Star uh, just after we finished filming. And when we were talking to everybody, we were like, oh, yeah, we're right in the middle of uh, filming another, you know, doing another 48 hour film challenge. And uh, and and we were both like, yeah, I think the one we're making is going to be the best one we've done all year. I think it's going to be fantastic because the filming felt perfect. The filming was awesome. You know, all, all the uh, the game stuff was fun. The 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 inside dialogue, you know, we, we shoot it out of order. So it's a little disjointed. It's hard to tell how it's going to turn out. But everything felt really good. And then it got to the edit and we were both were just kind of like, oh, yeah, just it, didn't it's so weird work as it, well as filming felt. You're right. That's the weird thing about it is that it felt great while we were filming. And look, I, I think the problem and this is the lesson I learned was that. Now, I, I'm not I'm not going to blame you and Mateo because this is how we directed you. But I, the lesson I learned from behind the scenes is that you can't have two characters with low energy in a scene. I'm never going to do that again because like it worked on crying over milk because you were low energy because Glenn was just a very reserved kind of guy trying to bottle everything up. But me and Emily were more in your face and like, I'm kind of smiling and happy kind of guy. And Emily is just like very aggressive and in your face the whole time. And like the balance worked here. You guys are like both down here for energy and it just feels like oh boy <laughs> like okay like you're both delivering your lines well you're both like you're both playing your characters it's it, it's fine but when like in a macro context it's just okay somebody needed to be a contrast here there needed to be there needed to be a balance of energies to make both of you feel more distinct and that i will say um ryan pointed it out at the screening because we'd seen it so many times uh we we kind of nitpick the the portions like we actually know we're, we're paying attention to what's going on we already can foresee 
what's happening on the screen. So, but when it came to having an audience, you know, when it when it follows so close to a a, a joke coming from the the video game, the audience is is laughing right on, and and it, that carries it through just enough to that those scenes didn't seem to drag as much when there was an audience, when there was people laughing, and you know, maybe the the scenes inside the apartment weren't that interesting, but they told the frame tale and the the jokes kind of made up for it that 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 kind of covered some of it you know maybe people weren't paying attention exactly to all the the dialogue um but still in a in a big audience like that it just kind of it made it work a little bit better the pacing kind of felt right yeah i think we just got lucky with the placement justin and i were both kind of hoping they'd put us somewhere in the middle so that by the end of it when people came out of the film, they wouldn't remember that a lot of it was kind of a slog. They just remember the, like the really good parts that were legitimately entertaining. Cause like I said, like the energy in the apartment was really low, but I think you and Mateo absolutely nailed the fighting mitts because like there was some, like there was so much energy in those scenes and like it was way more fun and colorful and just, there was a lot more going on. I, I also think like, in, in a well going back to color theory like Justin's apartment is very like it's very blue and gray tones it just it all it all kind of feels uh more mellow as well so even just like looking at the set felt more mellow like your acting's mellow the set's mellow it's all just super chill and then battle for blood outside is like we have all this like harsh like this rough looking wood in the background all the like the red health bars the uh like the bright you're wearing the bright white colors Mateo's wearing the colorful Hawaiian shirts and uh and the demolition bob vest like it's way more colorful and like aggressive and in your face and the energy is way more there just like I, I do like the contrast between the two it does I think the low energy apartment scenes did make the video game feel more um even more exciting in contrast. Um, so that's a benefit. I think that's what makes it good though, is that the low energy, not in terms of it being realistic, but it's a bit more grounded than of course the fighting game. So you have that contrast. And then when you're watching as an audience member, you get, we start off with the fighting game cinematic and you're brought to this grounded reality. So now, you know, the two energy levels and, One's up here, one's down here, and then they kind of meet into a healthy, uh, ben- um, healthy medium with each other. And again, we're our biggest critics, so the stuff we hate, we really hate, and it's stuff that like we made too. So we're like, ah, could have done this better. But I think as an audience member, you benefit from having low moments instead of it being really high energy all the time. I mean, one of the films that we saw there. There was a lot going on in the, I think it was maybe the first one with like a lot of high energy, a lot of craziness. And it was in terms of story, not really, not really easy to follow, but it had a lot of high energy and there was good laughs in there. But that's where I think ours benefits a bit more is that there's a definite story here. Okay, this is the video game that they're playing. Here's how they are reacting to it in real life. And 
yeah, we could have directed it a, a bit differently or performed it a bit differently to sort of have the same, not the same energy level as the fighting game, but still have the energy flow a bit more into the fighting game. Agreed. Well, I was just yeah. thinking of it and, uh, like, the more I think about it, the more I think, like, maybe it was the, the, the coming to the end, uh, the scene where, where you guys are, are boxing the pillow, right? That had just enough more energy that it was still, it was still pretty mellow, but not, not like a lot that it, it felt like more. And maybe it was just the beginning, the, the first two sequences maybe just didn't quite have enough energy, uh, but the rest of it seemed to balance out. But, I mean, Ryan, that was your first time actually seeing the film was at the screening, right? So your your Correct. opinion is probably the most valid between out of out of the three of us because Joe and I have seen all the flaws a thousand times and... Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, I, I think I felt the same way you guys did when we were doing Crying Over Milk, because we've seen all the flaws, we saw all the issues, I mean, remember, what was the one shot where you could see the mic, like, the dead cat in the frame, and we were like, oh, no, and you can still kind of see it if you look for it uh, on the big screen, but when you're watching it all the way through, you're just like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, doesn't flow perfectly but it flows it's not like a deadpan stop um and and again it's what third short film that we've all done together we're all gonna grow uh exponentially and learn differently through each like set i mean we're not we're going to get better each time and i think this has been i think we even had a smaller time crunch because of you guys had to go to the premiere as well and so you have that six hour window you have to take out and it just flowed better. And the way we all worked together was, in my opinion, as smooth as it's ever been. So we've all learned something from each of these films and we've all made pretty decent products, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I'm and, proud of and all the fact is, is that the, like these these were 48 hour challenges that we did. This was a challenge to make the best film you could in this short window, which, you know, we're, we're, we're taking these lessons from this, and the next time we go to make something like uh, Blue Star, uh, when we apply all this work to something where we can take time and do things right, it's, it's going to make it that much better, right? Yeah, like, I am happy with Blue Star, but... The stuff we accomplished on Crying Over Milk and Battle for Blood in just 48 hours. Like, Blue Star took us, how long, six months to do? And it turned out pretty well. But I really like uh, Crying Over Milk specifically, but Battle for Blood is, is good too. And we did those in 48 hours each. So just what we learned to do on a time crunch, once we actually blow that up, I, I'm really excited to see what our next longer form project can look like with all these lessons in mind. Imagine what we can do in a week. Yeah, like an actual Ryan dedicated talking week. to an egg. God, yeah, let's go with this egg bullshit. I'm not... <laughs> oh, the egg is next. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but we also learned some stuff on the technical side. Like on Battle for Blood there, Justin learned uh, some lessons about shooting on log which is something we never tried before either. We were still pushing some new boundaries. Do you mean there. shooting at a log with a real gun? Because that's what we also learned as well. Well, 
Yeah. Justin's got no comment. Uh, no comment, Justin? It, it, we did not shoot Ryan. That's that's it. Look, it's a blank I gun. refuse it, to stand there. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's... Uh, that was part of the process, was uh, telling you what, what what we were thinking, and you were like, no, that's a terrible idea. And uh, so we didn't do it. We did it differently. Look, for absolute safety, fine, be off the shot. But I will, I, I'll, I'll be the guy and, and defend and say that it's not, there was no real potential for harm because it's a, it's a blank gun. The whole thing is specifically designed. Nothing's going to come out the front. The casing flies out the side. It was perfectly safe, and we just we did not communicate that at all. We did not do very well enough to set you at ease on set. Uh, our safety coordination was pretty bad that day. I'll admit we learned some lessons about, you know, making actors feel m- more at ease. Uh, we messed up pretty bad there uh, in terms of that. I concede that, and we will do better next time. You were not going to be in any danger, but we didn't communicate that very well, which stressed you out more than it should have. It's a you put me on a giant saw. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't on. <laughs> hey, I, hey you, look. Hey, you had to. I had to ride the saw while it was on. I was on the oh. track. I was balancing on the track, riding towards the saw. Justin pointing a gun at my head. <laughs> what? I never even held the gun. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got the blank gun pointed at you, and I was being pulled towards a very real saw. Do I have to bring up Brandon Lee and Alec Baldwin again? Real guns, blank bullets. Blank gun, blank bullets. Difference. Just just saying. No. <laughs> just, just, just saying that somebody on set of those, uh, it was their job to inspect the guns, and uh, obviously they did not do a very good job. I still heard a ting, so I think I deserve to stay. Yeah, there's a cartridge that's supposed to come out. That was loud, though. It was loud. <laughs> that was so loud. Yeah. I still want to see like, the footage we, of Joe getting my reaction to the gunshot. Oh, I, I have it. You, you look in the camera. You were going to point that at me. <laughs> <laughs> and Justin's just laughing. <laughs> uh, I want to make it clear to everybody who's listening. They did not force me to do anything I did not want to. They asked me if I can do it, and I said, okay. Or yeah, if it was the gun, I said, Fuck no. <laughs> I'll step out of frame. And, we didn't and you can stitch yeah. me in later. Yeah, we had ideas. Uh, they didn't pan out. It's, you know, it, it worked how it worked. Um, I'm just saying, Justin, just watch one Freddy W. Muzzle Flash tutorial and you're good. <laughs> See, now that's you as an actor ah, saying, dude, in post. Something. It's I, a seven I, I minute tutorial. <laughs> Our, uh,. Technically, using stock stuff like that, we had to get uh, the. Oh, had we had to sign forms. We couldn't. Thing. We couldn't we had you, to get you, consent you for stopped. all the effects. Oh, that's bull. Yeah, we had a blank gun that had a real muzzle flash live in camera. Tossed out a cartridge with a with a smoke like it was like that's what we have it for. 
It's a sound effect and a visual effect, practical, and it is safe. Just saying. But they, uh, use, anyway. they use them on stage quite a lot. True. Yeah. Anytime I know they use they it for need, a lot of like old timey guns too. Yeah, very frequently. Yeah. Actually, that was the one we were trying to get, and then they sent us the wrong one that was more expensive, and then I didn't say oh, anything. Oh, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, they're going to send me the wrong one. I think we're keeping Justin up. So, uh, you guys have any more final thoughts on these three films this year? Um, good experiences all around. Love working with you guys. It's a ton of fun. Can't wait to do more projects in the future. And, uh, yeah. No more guns. <laughs> well, um, I mean, we could talk about, uh, we have our Patreon, uh, the Thought Play Media Patreon, uh, which all of these films are going to be on fairly soon. Uh, Blue Star Part is going to be up there on November 7th. Crying uh, Over Crying Milk's over already milk on will there. Be November. Uh, it's already on there, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I don't think so. Well, it's uploaded to our YouTube oh, channel on Listed, but I think it's on there already. Somewhere down the list. Okay. Uh, anyways, if it's not, See it's going to be up there November 14th. And then uh, Battle for Blood uh, doesn't have an official date yet because we have to uh, do it in sometime in December, I believe. We have to wait till the end of November, so it'll be early December. You'll see that there. Uh, so if you're not, um, on our Patreon, you definitely should be. For sure. Any donation you can make is, uh, is a big help and you get exclusive stuff, uh, like these short films, early access, uh, YouTube sketches, that kind of thing, uh, behind the scenes videos when I get a chance to make them, it'll be exclusive for that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be good. So that's... I think all we got to say on these three short films this year been a been a good experience. I don't think we're gonna make three next year, but you know we really pushed ourselves this year. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do five more forty eights. Uh, no, and they're all on the smartphone. Oh, no, Lord. please, please don't do this to me, Ryan. Please, no. Balance the gimbal. <laughs> Oh, God. You know what? It's impossible to balance the gimbal with a stupid smartphone because the f- smartphone weighs nothing. You're not balancing anything. That what the problem it's was? terrible. Because <laughs> you couldn't balance That was anything. the problem. The phone was too light. That was the problem. Uh, the, 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 like, how do you balance nothing? You can't. That was the, the major problem. You You just can't. You physically can't. That's great. We have to do the smartphone challenge, but it's only the banned phones from in North America. Was it the <laughs> Nuway phones or whatever? They're from the from the east. Ho- Huawei. Yeah, Huawei. <laughs> we have to use those phones. <laughs> yeah. All right, Justin. You want to plug any socials or anything that you? Well, the thought plan Patreon. I, I, I share one. socials with you, basically. Uh, yeah. Well, the Thought Plane Patreon is, uh, let me see. I believe it's, uh, patreon.com slash Thought Media. Yeah. Uh, no, I think it's Thought Plane Media. 
yeah, yeah, yeah patreon.com slash thoughtpenmedia. Yeah, that's it. There you go. So if you want to purchase some, some coin. All right, what about you, Ryan? All righty. Well, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, TikTok, and on Instagram. And you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at ThoughtPlay Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe, where I explain Doctor Who to somebody who's never seen Doctor Who. And a very special thanks to Justin for guest starring on this week's episode. You've been great. We hope to have you back. And yeah, we have to bring a webcam next time. <laughs> yeah, long time fan, first time caller. Yeah, took you. 80 That's episodes. actually true. <laughs> He's the first time <laughs> caller. That's true. All right, everybody. Till next time. Take care. Goodbye.